Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose. I am someone who did not go to art school, but I love learning new things about art and architecture. Hi, I'm Betty. I'm also someone who did not go to art school, but I have been working as a gallery guide at a art gallery for the past eight years. Um, and I also love learning about the architecture of the building around me while I'm in there, but also other buildings that house art around the world. So today we're going to be talking about the architecture of some different art museums all around the world. But before we get into that, we did want to take a minute to talk to you all about the partnership that Relay FM has with St. Jude this month. So it's September, which is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And if you haven't heard of St. Jude, um, this is St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and they are a hugely, hugely important organization in the fight against childhood cancer. Kids from around the world come to be treated at St. Jude with absolutely life-saving treatment and no family ever receives a bill for anything when they are being treated because their principle is that if you are have a child who is fighting cancer, that should be your only focus and the only thing you have to worry about, not trying to worry about hospital bills at the same time. And unfortunately, in the United States, that is a rarity. So not only are they treating kids and doing this amazing work, they also are doing cutting-edge research in order to help develop better and better treatments for everyone across the world to benefit from and have done absolutely life-saving work for thousands and thousands of children. They're obviously such a special and important organization, and Relay FM and its community has been raising money for them for years and years um, because one of our founders, Stephen, had a child who was treated at St. Jude. Um, and so obviously it is very close to all of our hearts here. And for the second year in a row, Relay FM is the official podcast partner with St. Jude. And so we are asking you directly, hello, yes, you, um, if you would be willing to help support this amazing cause this month. So yeah, the campaign runs through the entire month of September. Um, worldwide, more than 90% of children with cancer live in low and income uh countries, and many of them lack access to adequate diagnosis and treatment, which causes many to die before reaching adulthood. Um, so it's, as Quinn mentioned, it's very important. Uh, it's a very important organization that we can help out to continue provide care for kids all over the world. So please um, help us in uh, raising funds for this amazing organization. The goal this year is to raise $315,000. Why this number, you ask? That is how many dollars that we raised last year. So we are hoping to meet that number. All throughout the month of September, there will be lots of different fun events and everything to celebrate milestones across those little fundraising goals. Um, so you can check out stjude.org slash relay in order to check out those milestones. And on September 18th, uh, there will be a live stream. I don't remember exactly how many hours this live stream is. A many hour live stream um, of, with lots of different Relay FM hosts tuning in from their homes. I'm going to be part of the live stream this year. And so if you want to join in on that, um, there'll be lots of fun opportunities to donate money and get little bonuses uh, during the live stream. So highly encourage you to tune into that on on September 18th. Again, go to stjude.org slash relay in order to learn more information about those events, the work that St. Jude does, and most importantly, to donate to join the fight to end childhood cancer. 
So as we mentioned earlier, the main topic for today's episode is actually the architecture of art museums. We've talked about lots of different museums in good ways and in bad ways. Um, But today we're just going to be focusing mostly on the outside of the buildings. So a couple of points about this before we get into sort of specific examples of various strange and interesting architectures. This isn't something that I had thought a lot about until recently, but oftentimes museums, especially sort of the larger museums in cities, they aren't just places that house art. They are really supposed to be major cultural centers and landmarks in the cities. So their their goal is to not only facilitate the best experience inside the museum, but also to be an aesthetically interesting and beneficial part of the city itself. Museums that, yeah, they don't just serve as the function for you to come in and look at art. And some of the examples uh, that I'll be talking about, and I'm sure that Quinn will be talking about, um, includes like how the architects and designers have thought about uh, how these buildings can serve as like a public square or um, something that's like interwoven interwoven into the city and complements the history and the culture of the city. Um, and it's, yeah, it's definitely something that's supposed to connect with the people and the life of the city. Um, not all of them achieve this, I'm sure, but I think today we will be giving some examples of ones that hopefully do. Or at least interpret that question in very interesting ways. <laughs> yeah. And one other note I had before we dive into specific examples is that museums are obviously now more and more thinking about some things that they weren't necessarily thinking of a couple decades ago. Probably the number one aspect of that being sustainability and trying to make sure that they have more sustainable design, which I think is very interesting. Um, And also, extremely importantly, accessibility. Um, Sort of first and foremost with buildings is obviously mobility aspects and making sure that everyone has equal access who has different mobility needs, Um, but also for things like people who are hard of hearing or hard of sight, like how are they able to access these spaces and how does the design of the building itself play into making a place more or less accessible? Um, And so that's not something we're going to dive into too much, but it is something that I was reading about and is interesting to keep in mind in terms of less the outside of the building, but especially sort of the internal design of a museum. How are these spaces being designed for all people and not just able-bodied people? Yes, I I would agree with that. And uh, just actually just a quick point about the accessibility part. Um, This is not something I'm going to mention in in the examples, but in uh, the Art Gallery of Ontario where I work, uh, the architect for the most recent renovation of the museum, which took place about 20 years ago, At the entrance, there is a ramp uh, that goes up to the level of the ground floor, but the ramp is actually a part of the design. Um, It's a part of this curving, wavy design that the architecture has, uh, the architect has woven throughout the entire gallery. So it's thinking about things like accessibility, but but not just, you know, as an afterthought, but incorporating it into the design of the space. I hope that um, as time goes on, we see more and more examples of that as well. So I brought a couple of examples to touch on, um, and I was really fascinated by museums that really made the choice to try to represent the essence of what they are and the space around them um, through the actual outside design of their buildings. Um, And so I have a couple of examples of how this manifests in different ways. One is actually with the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle, which is 
not an art museum, which I, I was just looking at museums in general, but almost every single example, interesting example was of an art museum because obviously they have a lot more incentive to kind of be more visually creative, especially contemporary art museums. But the Museum of Public Culture in Seattle, which I've actually been to and is awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm a big pop culture nerd, so like it was really exciting for me. Um, but what I thought was fascinating about this, the architecture was named Franco Gehry. And when he designed it, he wanted to create something that evoked the rock and roll experience. So he was inspired by actually cutting open electric guitars and then using those sort of sliced bits of guitar as an early model design. So the outside of the museum is like three different structures. They do not look like typical buildings. They have wavy bits on the outside. They're incredibly shiny in their different colors. So like the center one is like this gorgeous purple ombre and then there's two structures one on either side of it that basically look like they're almost like skirts flowing out but they are made of like the shiny metal um, to lead into the openings to the actual museum so it's definitely a super eye-catching design and I loved reading about how it was literally inspired by the inside of guitars because that is exactly what the entire experience of the museum is supposed to evoke. It's supposed to be about um, music and other aspects of pop culture. The exterior itself is made out of 3,000 panels, which are made out of 21,000 individually cut stainless steel and painted aluminum shingles. So they look different in different light conditions. They're going to change if you're looking at it from different angles. And it's supposed to represent the energy and the fluidity of music, which I think it does really well. And I love seeing that kind of central thesis of a space be expressed so evocatively in its structure. The architect who uh, did this uh, job, uh, Frank Gehry, is actually the same architect who did the AGL. Oh my god, wait, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so our Canadian guy. <laughs> um, and this one actually, th I, this was one of the ones that I was thinking of talking about, but, you know, I did want to just talk about you know, the AGO and people who designed the AGO. But um, uh, the funny thing is that, yeah, because this building is like so crazy and his his buildings are generally very like fluid, apparently like when he was first hired to do the design for the AGO, a lot of the like stakeholders were like, oh no, not this guy. He's going to make our like lovely classical building into like some like, guitar <laughs> so like, um but it, i think it's good like even though a lot of his buildings look similar um it is interesting that he kind of has a reason like this one as you said is inspired you know by cutting open an electric guitar and the ago um he's inspired like by the fluid uh curvy curvature shape of our ship model ship collection so he, you know that's why ours look like it's like a the hull of a ship when you look at the exterior even though like a lot of these really famous architects they have like a style and some of them all their buildings kind of look the same um at least he has a rationale behind what he's doing <laughs> that's fair enough maybe he's just picking projects that he can bend to his style the one that I want to talk about is actually kind of a, a similar theme uh, as the one that you just mentioned. Um, so it's the Royal Ontario Museum here in Toronto, Ontario, uh, which is the city that I live in. And this is um, apparently it's the largest museum in Canada, uh, which I was surprised to learn about. So it's an art as well as natural history museum. So it has um, like an extensive art collection that's that goes from like ancient to contemporary and then it has um, dinosaurs 
dinosaurs and all kinds of things. <laughs> the Royal Interior Museum, it's a very old building that actually went through renovations back in the early 2000s when it was expanding its collection. They In 2002, they hired the architect Daniel Leapskind to be the lead architect on this project. And Leapskind is, um, he's a you know very well-known um, architect, and he probably is most famous for doing the Jewish Museum in Berlin. So of course, like his style is the jagged crystals. And the ROM is an, another example of that. Um, but he did say that he was inspired by the ROM's gem collection. So the ROM has an expense, extensive, um, like precious stone and gem collection. And there's lots of like rocks that are like jagged crystals. So he said that was one of his inspirations, even though it seems like the inspiration for all of his buildings. <laughs> In the link I just sent you, there is a, uh, like he did a little napkin sketch. Uh, so he, just sketched this like explosion, exploding crystal on a napkin uh, one, one day when he was attending a family wedding at the ROM, which at the time was this very like classical, uh, you know, like neoclassical, like 19th century looking building, very European. Um, and he's kind of just like, exploded a crystal into the facade. The reason like, I wanted to talk about this, and it's interesting is because um, it actually is it was named like the most hated building in Canada mm-hmm. um, so it, like like it, it when it was first completed almost everybody hated it and even today I think a lot of people still hate it but it's one of those buildings that I think for uh, Torontonians it's kind of grown on us the crystal so it's in the entrance facade and I, I as you mentioned earlier um, accessibility of a lot of like old museum is terrible you usually have to go up these steps which is like a very classical way of doing a building um, the new entrance um, that's around the corner is now like a gradual ramp that goes from the sidewalk to the main entrance so making it accessible um, and you walk into these jagged crystals uh, to enter the building so the walls um, also kind of act as like a cover for the for the p- pedestrian travel that's under Underneath the entrance. Um, so yeah, when it was first built, um, the Globe and Mail, which is a newspaper here in Canada, the one of the uh, reviewers uh, said that the new ROM rages at the world. And she thought it was oppressive, angsty and hellish. There's uh, an anonymous architect, I guess he didn't want to say who they are, uh, says, to be perfectly frank, I think it's a disaster. One of my clients said it's a good thing she's losing her eyesight. Wow. And then the Washington Post said, Daniel Leapskin's addition to the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto surpasses the ugliest of bland functional buildings by being both ugly and useless. Okay, well, everyone's being incredibly dramatic. I think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not that bad. Um, so they definitely were. And it, it kind of just goes on and on about how bad it is. I mean, one personal criticism I guess I do have with the crystals is that it is very easy to get lost in there um like again like we're talking a lot about like the exterior of the building but really like for me um doing a lot of interior renos I'm very interested in like if it actually functions on the inside and a lot of like the sharp corners of the crystals is unusable space and when you're in there you just you have no idea where you're going so that functionally it probably 
was not the best choice, but um, I wouldn't go as far to say it's like hell on earth. Yeah, I actually think it's quite pretty. I mean, I can't judge what it's like in the inside because I haven't been there. But I mean, if I was walking down the street, this would definitely catch my eye. Um, I love when you're talking about it being inspired by actual crystals. You could definitely see that influence. And I think it captures that really well. I really like it. Yeah, well, you should definitely come visit and we'll try to not get lost in there. Well, I have another controversial museum structure to discuss. This is the Ortis Museum in Inner Mongolia in China. Um, The best way I can describe what this museum sort of physically looks like from the outside is, you know, sometimes when you have an old pillow and it's like really lumpy and you just and then it it's not smooth like it, it's you you th- toss it down and you notice like it's got all these lumps sticking out of it in different places <laughs> so that's kind of what this museum looks like but in a cool way <laughs> it's this giant like kind of oval structure but it has all these different parts coming out of it it's all entirely covered in uh these strips of polished aluminum um and so it is Really strange looking. I do love it. (laughs) And it's super meaningful in the choices it's made in its design to sort of the space that it is in. So it's part of the city of Ordis, which is, until recently, it was like part of the Gobi Desert. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Total nature place away from urban areas. Um, But more recently, um, there has been a lot more urban development in this space and sort of this modern march of technology and cutting edge technology um, and taking on this sort of very like angular urban planning approach that kind of defines contemporary cities. And so this was created in a reaction to that and wanting to create this more natural, irregular shape that's more close to something that you would see in nature. Um, And so it sort of stands in this modernized area, but there's still this backdrop of the desert. And at the same time, it still does kind of represent this cutting edge contemporary idea because it is like completely covered in polished metal. And so that is obviously evokes a very modern technology image to us as well. The whole point of this museum is to both celebrate sort of the history and the culture of the Mongolian people and to connect that symbolically with their future. And it also is a practical purpose as well because there's like lots of standstorms. And so having this more organic building shape is actually able to withstand weather events a lot better. Um, it, it actually is protecting the exhibits therein much better than a, a sort of standard angular building would, um, which also, you know, lots of metaphors because this is a history and culture museum that is symbolically and literally protecting the history and culture of the people in the area. It reminds me or evokes um, like images of like Mongolian yurts kind of like where the nomadic Mongolians would build and that's and those like yurts are very round and and because they're usually made of soft material like you were mentioning it kind of looks like a pillow because those are usually soft it looks more like mushy and oval shaped so I think yeah as opposed to the recent developments of just you know like angular buildings in the urban areas this kind of can evoke some like traditional design and traditional aesthetics of what maybe the culture of the people in this area like would would have been used to 
and the design of it is a bit polarizing because it is extremely weird um but i think it's very cool and i love all that it represents and it also is gigantic it's just so large um this is an absolutely huge museum it looks like and so it seems like it'd be really fun to walk around and the inside it's this design to be like very open space it's all white on the inside with lots of airy areas lots of windows um and so it seems like a very cool place to walk around i do love how much like natural light it gets because again like a lot of museums don't have windows at all um or very few and it's quite dark and it has to be extensively lit and this yeah this definitely looks like during the day it would be beautiful to walk around in yeah so my next example is um probably actually less controversial than what you would uh what you would presume uh but it's it you know it's still similar to the examples we just gave it's still kind of weird looking the one i want to talk about is the pompidou center in paris france it's a building that houses the um public information library um so it has a library in it and it has the uh musée national de art moderne uh which is their <laughs> national modern art museum um and so it um, and it has a center for music and acoustic research in there. So it's kind of a multi-purpose um, space that was designed. And um, it was designed by uh, two architects, uh, Renzo Piano and Richard Rogers. They're also very famous architects now, but at the time in the 1970s, they were, I think they were kind of just starting out. They had a, they partnered in an architecture firm together and they only had like 14 projects under their belt, but they won the competition to design this museum there were these like young guys were like okay cool let's do something like crazy um so it was the first example of like what's called an inside out building often in architecture and so what it has is like most buildings will have like an exterior facade like stone or metal or whatever and then on the inside a lot of the things that uh, that I have to work on in projects that people don't see are things like structural systems, mechanical systems, like vents and pipes and HVAC and all that, um, and circulation and stuff like that. Um, but on this building, they flipped that and exposed the inside on the exterior of the building. Um, Richard Rogers will go on to like design a bunch of buildings that look like this, where you see all its like exposed systems on the outside. So instead of like hiding all this, you know, gunky services and structural stuff, they're kind of like celebrating it. The reason they, they did this was they wanted to free up the space on the inside. They wanted the f floors, each floor to be uninterrupted. So instead of having load bearing structures, like columns and these load-bearing walls it can just be an uh, like an open space which is very helpful for an art museum but also very helpful for flexibility in terms of you know rearranging and putting different exhibitions on and stuff like that um so they the space can be like divided up and reorganized in like any way or possible basically uh, within the constraint of the floor plate so and then in on, on their design of the exterior 
uh, services, they they also color coded. Uh, they also color coded it, so they have it's actually very bright and very colorful when you are walking around the building. So they have blue for um, air circulation and air conditioning, yellow for electricity circulation, green for water circulation, and red for people circulation, which is like escalators and um, elevators and stairs and such. So I've been to this. Uh, I've been in Paris and I've seen the outside. I really wanted to go in, but unfortunately, I was only in Paris for three days, and this was not on the agenda. I was very sad. Um, but just being able to see the outside of this building, like once you walk into that area, you're just like, oh my god, this is crazy. I, I loved this uh, one article in National Geographic when it was first completed. They their reaction to the design is that it's love at second sight because the first sight you're just like. WTF. And then second site, you're like, that's awesome. Richard Rogers actually would go on to win the Pritzker Prize, which is the highest, most prestigious prize in architecture. And the Prisker uh, jury said the Pompidou uh, revolutionized museums and transformed what had once been elite monuments into popular places of social and cultural exchange woven into the heart of the city. So this goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, that like the museum is not just a place to house art. It's not just like a storage and, and a place where you just walk in and look at pictures. It's... Um, it's like a public square. It's where um, we come for knowledge and information and um, and have social activities, which, you know, a lot of museums and organizations around the world are really trying to achieve that vision. And this was kind of um, probably one of the first places where it kind of it really embodied that. And because of how unique the building is, it attracted a lot of attention, and a lot of people to want to come and check it out. Yeah, my only real comment on this is that I also have walked by this building and I did not know what it was at all, but I was like, what is that? And I think <laughs> we took pictures of the outside and we couldn't figure out what it was because it's it's so industrial looking from the outside because of all the piping and stuff. And it actually reminded me of a water park um, oh, because it yeah, seems yeah. like they should be water slides. <laughs> and so I did, also did not get the chance to actually go in, but I can confirm that it's very eye-catching and it does make people want to stop and discuss. So that's pretty great. Yeah, for sure. So the last museum that I wanted to bring, I don't have a ton to say about it, but I just wanted to quickly mention the Museum of Contemporary Art in Niederroy. Um, this is so cool. It's in Rio de Janeiro, and it basically looks um, – forgive me for describing it like this, but it does basically look like a flying saucer. It's out on what appears to be like this little peninsula, and so um, – Parts of it are overlooking the water. And I said, forgive me for the description because it's very explicitly not a flying saucer. Um, <laughs> that's what people think when they see it. But the quote from the architect is, I'm actually just going to read this whole quote because it's really nice. It's a building located on a wonderful site, which I liked very much. And that made the design process quite easy. It is a headland surrounded by the sea and the building is located in its middle. The problem was to find out how to support it. And then the idea for Niederoy came to my mind naturally. It was like a flower. Some see it as a flying saucer, but it's not that. It's a flower. It's a very round flower. It's a very round flower. But I do, I love that idea of it, even though, like, when I look at this, I don't think, well, that looks like a flower. But when he describes it like that, as a flower rising from the rock, um, and can you imagine, like, standing inside this building and being able to overlook, it looks like you're just floating above the sea when you're actually inside it. And that's beautiful. Um, and so I love this 
great interpretation of the space that it's in and this way to um, use a very unusual design in order to create one definitely an eye-catching building it's not the prettiest building that we've talked about today I wouldn't describe it as a flower like I said but I do think it's quite unique Um, and you know this person really went out on a limb uh, to make this which is great and I have to imagine that the experience of actually being in the museum is probably actually quite magical because of the way that it's designed to overlook the water like that so I really appreciate that and um, because it's like a flying saucer and it's sort of raised (laughs) the ground there's a giant column in the middle um, which is where I assume you enter the museum but because of that, it creates this huge shaded area, which allows for basically a public space um, for people to be able to sit out there in the shade underneath the museum, um, which is very cool and goes back to what I was saying as museums, like really striving to be not only uh, places that house culture, but places that are landmarks of culture in the cities um, and other places. And so I think that definitely fulfills that by creating this space um, to have basically a public square underneath the architecture of the museum. That's really cool. Yeah, I actually really love the the ramp that goes up to it. It's, it's there. It's like a spiral spiraling ramp. It almost looks like a top, like or like the the saucer quote unquote saucer part looks like a top and it looks like there's like a little spiral that comes off of it and the ramp is painted in like bright red um which is very like eye-catching and the the part where i think you mentioned it where like so when you're on the inside and you're on the edge of the flower um and there's i guess the petals are these like cantilevering beams and there's and it's a glass that's slanted so you can kind of like look outward at the city and the beach and the the water which is like I would love to be in in, inside there um to see what that view would be like and plus it looks really good at night when it's like lit up from the bottom yeah that is really cool the the lot of these museums when they're lit up at night is just magical lovely um okay well my last uh example uh, that I wanted to talk about um, is uh, also quite interesting and again controversial um, although I didn't I didn't expect it to be because it's probably the most tame of the example that we uh, that we brought up so this is the design of the Louvre entrance uh, which is uh, in the middle of the courtyard at the Louvre Museum in Paris, France, uh, another example from France. Uh, So it's these uh, large uh, metal pyramids that was designed by American architect I.M. Pei. So there's one large pyramid and it's surrounded by three small pyramids. Uh, So it's in the main courtyard of the Louvre Palace and the large pyramid serves as the main entrance to the Louvre Museum. So um, as many of you may know, the Louvre is uh, the world's largest art museum. And uh, the reason this redesign happened back in uh, the 1980s was because it there was like so much traffic going through the museum building the building was like in disrepair and it was you know a kind of a crazy maze and people were getting lost and it was just really disorganized so they needed a way to um, have a new entrance somewhere else so the existing entrance doesn't continue to get damaged and also like reorganize the flow so that you know people aren't just like 
getting lost for like weeks <laughs> inside this museum, which you probably could. It's very large. So I.M. Pei was brought on to kind of do the reorganization, and he ended up deciding to put the main entrance as um, in the middle and use an underground lobby beneath it, which he can create a, a, a large space for like a reception area, like a lounge, um, and also, you know, create just more amenity spaces for the for the museum. But it doesn't disrupt the actual building itself. And it's, you know, kind of in a way other than the pyramid that penetrates out from the middle, it's kind of hidden from uh, from view when you're when you're looking at the museum. He has he did a very effective plan with a central concourse. And there's various destinations in like this subterranean network. And um, so he was inspired by, you know, the like ancient atriums of Pompeii uh, villas. Um, but at the same time, uh, so there's a historic inspiration but at the same time the in like industrial and jagged um, metal and glass of the pyramid kind of evokes this like uh, modern or like corporate office building look um, and is you know evoking like the busy movement of people in the city or in like uh, rail concourses or airports um, so it's like um, like similar to what I mentioned earlier about like the ROM it's this mixture of like this classical design with um, like a modern uh, with this like contemporary straight edge jagged like metal and glass design in terms of I, I think in terms of design it was like quite successful in terms of achieving the vision of the Louvre wanting to um, like make the space uh, functional. Um, but at the time, uh, when it was first proposed, and I think even during construction, it was quite controversial, because one, this like modern style of uh, like glass and steel was a lot of people felt like it was inconsistent with the classic French Renaissance style, and the history of the Louvre. And also a lot of people thought, like the pyramid is an Egyptian symbol. So that's kind of weird like that it would be in France. And also a lot of people think the pyramid symbolized death because it um, often is tombs of Egyptian pharaohs. So they thought, yeah, that's kind of weird that it's like a death symbol from Egypt in the middle of Paris. Um, and of course, lastly, it was controversial because the architect was a Chinese American architect. And they were like, he is not French. <laughs> so but I think, you know, all of these reasons kind of suck. Yeah, it is interesting to hear about it being so controversial, especially because it is such an iconic feature of Paris today. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of like, the, the I think it's like, you know, a lot of Parisians and I guess maybe French citizens were complaining that this is not French enough, like whether it's the architect or the design or the symbol. But now it's like, it... it, it you just think of Paris and you think of France when you when you see this structure. Well, interestingly enough, there actually is a moment in the movie The Da Vinci Code where a Parisian complains about the pyramid at the Louvre. And what a <laughs> random thing for me to bring up, you may think. But it's not random at all because <laughs> we actually recorded a very special bonus episode talking about the bonkers movie the da vinci code um and it seems that take place in the louvre and other examples of use of art throughout this movie um that episode is actually going to be coming out just in two days on september 10th uh, that's two days from the day that this episode is going live and you can hear that by going to relay.fm slash membership and signing up to support our show so 
Um, obviously, at the beginning of this episode, we did a big plug for St. Jude. They um, quite obviously are a better use of your <laughs> money than us. But if you are able to donate to St. Jude and you would still like to support our show um, and hear this very fun bonus episode, you can do that. Really.fm slash membership. There's also a link in the show notes. And we, of course, appreciate your support very much. Yeah, it was a really fun episode to record. Um, Quinn and I, as you will he- hear if you uh, choose to subscribe to our membership, that we um, have very intense thoughts about this movie. And I particularly, uh, I think what the first time I saw this movie was expecting an art movie. I It was a different uh, result is what I ended up perceiving from it. Um, but yeah, so in this episode, you heard a lot of um, actual factual information about buildings. Um, in this other episode, uh, you may not. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear a lot of myths. Um, yeah, no, it's not a good movie, but it was very fun to talk about. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Pictorial. Uh, You can find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial. um, And you can also find us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram at aspiringrobotfm. And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at ArticulationsV. I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also upload these podcast episodes to our YouTube channel, Pictorial Podcasts, where we will edit in images of what we talk about along the way for you to check out while you're listening. But also, seriously, stjude.org slash relay. Check it out. Okay, thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.